in Philippians, and I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit led Ray to go back to the Christ hymn, to Philippians 2, um, 6 through 11, because um, I, I was actually going to go back to that as we get into the second part of chapter 3, because it really is the center of the, the book of Philippians, and every time Paul says something, he ties it to um, that, that book, and if, and if you don't get that particular passage of Philippians, you don't understand what he's saying about Christ and his nature and his humility, you will miss what Paul is saying, and when you miss it, what Paul says tends to sound like maybe a, um, uh, uh, a critique or a, a, um, uh, a tax, and what it really is is a call to Christ. It's a call to the mind of Christ. It is continually a call to the mind of Christ. And one of the things that the ancient church would do when they received a letter from somebody like Paul is they would re read it as part of their worship. It was tied into their communion service, which was the center of their worship. The, the receipt of the Lord's table was the center of their worship. We've tried to do that as well. Um, and so, you know, eventually we'll put we'll put a book on Philippians on our list. Ray and I will race to it. It'll be like a reality show. It'll be like, like two pastors faced with one challenge. You know? And, uh, you know, two pastors. So um, anyway, uh, we are we're we're into summer and we're moving along and and um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter three. I'm not going to belabor announcements and things. I want to get I want to get right into uh, the passages. We don't have a lot going on. We're getting ready for the fall. It'll be here before you know it. Um, but we want to be we're going to be in Philippians chapter three. And last week we when we hit Philippians three we we talked about the warning that Paul gives to about these dogs and evildoers and the mutilators of the flesh, these people that are going to, um, they're detrimental to the church. They're tearing down the church. Um, and they've entered the Philippian church, and he's worried about that. And Paul talks about his, um, his claim to, if anybody's going to claim to be righteous before the law, Paul has got it, and he's going through that. Um, and he talks a lot about, he talks a lot about um, how these people have lifted themselves up and then in verse 12 uh, of Philippians, Paul gets into his side of it. He says, not that I have obtained. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. In other words, Paul goes, listen, I'm not saying that I am what they say they are. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I've achieved everything. Um, and we, we know Paul is a human being. He makes mistakes. He's flawed. And yet he is, he's saying, so when I ask you to follow me instead of them, it's not because I'm saying I'm better than them. That I'm, I'm just, you know, overall, you know, just a better guy. And you should follow me. That's not what Paul's point is. Because remember what the center of Philippians is. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it's this, uh, this passage about Christ humbling himself, letting go what he, what he was entitled to, emptying himself, you know, to the point of the cross, and then Christ lifting him up. So here Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Now, all through Philippians, and we don't have time to do this. I, I could do a whole series on athletics in Philippians. Paul uses all of these athletic images. But you, you can see what he's talking about. Um, so Eric and Janet's son, Ryan, is a, is a runner. And he's very, very committed to being 
a runner. He has always been devoted. I mean, we met him when he was 15, 16, something like that. And he was, you know, watching his diet and practicing and running. He's determined. He's focused on that task. And so that's what Paul is talking about when he says, I press on. He says, I'm always trying to be better, not because I'm better, I'm going to be perfect, but because I have been found in Christ. He said, Jesus called me to his team. And so I'm always going to run as hard as I can and push a little bit harder because I'm on Jesus' team. I'm running this relay for him, not for me. That's what he says when he says, I press on. Um, he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, so brothers and sisters... I do not consider that I have made it my own. Since this isn't about me. These guys are saying, these people that are entering your church, they're saying it's about them. And I'm telling you, it's not about me. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you can't constantly be looking back and saying, you know, uh, well, there was all this stuff. Because every time you turn around and look back, you slow your progress toward the goal that Christ has set, set for you. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't live with the implications of our past. It doesn't mean that we don't have to sort through the emotions and pains and difficulties and sins of our past. But if we allow them to bind us up, we will never be able to run as strongly as we could. Now, one of the things that Paul would have been very familiar with and the Philippians would have been familiar with because they had Olympic-style games was the idea of a relay race. And a relay race is all about you running as hard as you can in your turn. It's not about whether the guy behind you fumbled and made a mess or, oh, well, we could never win because that guy made a, made a mistake. When that baton gets passed to you, you run as if you're running the race. You're going to win this race because you only got your lap. And Paul says, I can't worry about what's gone before. I can't worry about anything but what I see and the goal I am pushing toward. And that is as far as I'm going to drive everything I am to the end of that goal. You know the people who sit there and go, wow, I ran that first part of that race so well, there is no way that anyone could possibly catch me, so I'm going to slow down. Right? We see this in football all the time. That, that guy is like, he's strutting, and he's like, yeah, I got this, ah, 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 and then somebody comes and whacks the ball out of his hand. <laughs> You're not done until you cross that line. You run as hard as you can to that line. Now, when I played, I played, um, Fly football as a little elementary kid. Um, second, we're talking second, third grade. Um, so, and it's funny to think that my dad was in his 30s when he was saying stuff like this to me. But my dad would say to us, and his friend, his best friend, Pastor Joe, who was our, our coach. I mean, how coaching second and third grade fly football? That's a demanding job. Um, just keep them all on the field. That's all we need. Um, but uh, it's like amoeba football. Everybody's just running. Um, but my, my dad said to me, he said, listen, son. He said, you run until the whistle blows. You don't stop. I said, what if there's a guy in front of me? He says, you run until the whistle blows and you don't stop. And so, I mean, I was shorter than I am now. And there are, there are pictures, I have one on Facebook of being the team, and the team is like that, 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 and then me and my friend Justin down on the bottom. And we were, we were so small that the flags almost touched the ground, and we were, we were little guys. And I, my dad said, you run until the, so here I am. I'm not, I never ran the ball. My, I was just 
like a, I guess I was, they called it locking, but really it was trying to make other guys trip over me. <laughs> and I would just run into people, guys that were twice my size, and I would just, my little legs just keep pumping until I heard the whistle and then I'd stop. <laughs> because that's what my dad told me to do. You run until the whistle blows. You run until you cross the line. And, and so often people go, well, I ran really well early, I can kind of back off. Or I'll take my time here and then I'll pick it up at the end. Right? But Paul says, I'm just going to run, I'm going to run, I'm going to run, I'm going to press toward the mark because I'm not running for me. I'm not running for victory for me, I'm running for Christ. And that's, that's what we want to aspire to be. And then he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, that sounds real deep, God will reveal this all. This is how I imagine it. And, and again, my messed up brain from the one time I played at sports when I was in second and third grade. All right? Not built for sports, really. Um, basketball was out. And, uh, and, you know, football would have been great if I was just a couple inches taller. And, um, and anyway. Um, we would be playing a game and we would be losing because, you know, I was on the team. So it, it was, it was, we were not a great team. Um, Christian school flag football league, not, not a great plan. Um, but, um, but we would be playing and we would start goofing off, right? And Pastor Joe, who was a, an ex-Marine from the mountains of Tennessee, um, who had at the time six kids, he eventually, or yeah, four kids, he eventually had six. Um, he, um, he would be roaming up and down the sidelines in a, uh, he wore a, a, the team was called the Thunderbolts and our, and our colors were red and yellow. He had a red blazer and a yellow tie. And um, yeah, it was, it was the 80s, man. And, um, and he would be roaming the field and he would be bellowing at the top of his voice, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? I mean, at one point he got penalized. It's funny because my dad was the referee and he penalized his best friend for being He's like, can you relax? I remember getting this is on jam. One time my dad actually called a kid for illegal use of the lips. That was the greatest penalty I think I have ever heard in my entire life. Anyway, Pastor Joe would be yelling at us. Well, you know what? This is what I picture when I see uh, God will reveal that also to you. Right? This is what we're shooting for. I picture God going, what are you doing? I called you to run. Run. Don't, don't, don't just, well, you know, eh, it's okay. It's not going to work. It'll be fine. Run. Paul, Paul says, he says, God will reveal this to you. He's going to let you know. Only, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, start well, run well, finish well. It's a nice three-point sermon. You can take another passage that I'm not preaching, but one of you can borrow it. Um, start well, run well, finish well. He says, you stay true to what we've attained. As we run, we just, this is our objective. And then verse 17, he says, your brothers, join in imitating me. Now again, Paul is not saying, I'm perfect, I've attained, you need to do everything what I'm doing. But rather, he's saying, look, the journey that I'm on, the race that I'm running, we're going to run this race together and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he draws this idea of, look, you, 
you want to run with other people who are running in the same direction, who are going the same way, who are going to push you and challenge you. Um, I am not known for great individual athletic motivation. I believe that running is something humans should only do when being chased by predators. <laughs> now, that's just my personality and the fact that I have very, very short legs. Um, and so me running, it's just not a big running thing. I have a size 8 foot, um, which at 200 pounds, you can imagine the damage that that does to your feet if you try to run long distances on tiny little stub feet like I have. Um, proof that I'm not a hobbit is the size of my feet. And, um, I, I am not, but I am not a person who does athletics well on my own. I'm not a self-motivated athletic athlete. Now, now Ryan, and not to use Ryan, but the Whitberger here, so he's sitting in the front of my face because he, he he brought his kitten over the house, and I saw it on Facebook, and, and it's all cute and stuff and copper. But but um, but Ryan, Ryan's a motivated runner. Uh, we would visit the Whitbergs, and we'd say, "Where's Ryan?" And the answer was almost always either he was doing his homework or he was running. He was, he was always, he was always running. He was, he was getting ready. That's what he did. He was a motivated athlete. You see these guys that work out by themselves and they're like all worked up about, you know, and, and that may be part of my problem. I hate the idea of looking in a mirror. You can tell by my hair. So, so these guys, these guys that like, they, they're like, they're in the gym and they're like lifting and they're like, look at them. Oh yeah, I don't know. I was not planning, if I wasn't accountable 
to, hey, we set this series for Philippians, I would get lost in so much historical, linguistic things that to me are the greatest fun in the world and for you would be the most boring hour of your life. All right? and, and I would get so dropped in that. But the thing is, my sermon prep time, it's not about what I can learn and what I can know and how I can. It's how can we as a church journey together with Christ and each other? How can we engage in that? How can we journey with that? How can we connect with that? And hopefully, prayerfully, over the years, and Doc and Greg can tell you whether this is true or not, but hopefully over the years, I've gotten better at engaging us in that journey. Um, you know, it's been 15 years. 15 15 years, yeah, 15 years um, that, that I've been pastoring, and Greg and Doc and those of you that have been around with books that I don't know many, Ryan Bree, uh, who else, Billadoos, um, that's it, <laughs> Ariel, <laughs> um, but for 15, years, for 15 years, I've been trying as a pastor not to be the greatest pastor ever, but to be better at inviting a congregation to walk with us in the journey to be like Christ, to press on to that goal. That's been, always been my personal goal in my, my ministry and my job, for lack of a better term. Verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He said there are a lot of folks who started out really well with us, then they got distracted, and the problem is because they're walking at a different direction and a different angle, they're, they're tangling up with those of us who are trying to follow Christ and they're, they're making it difficult and they're becoming enemies of the cross. They're drawing people away from Jesus. That, that whole thing about he, uh, in verses 5 through 11 about Christ and his humbling and his service and, and humbling himself even to, the point, to the, the point of death, the death of the cross, that's so key to what Paul is saying. He says, because if there are people getting in the way of you journeying with Christ, coming to that point where there's a, a sacrifice and a crucifixion and, 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 and a suffering and then a, a renewal and a hope in Christ, if they're, if they're tearing you apart from that, if they're knocking you down and getting you out of the way, unfortunately, and Paul says this with a grieving heart, they've become enemies of the cross. Because they're detracting the church from Christ. And then he describes them. He says their 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 end is. I'm going to read this translation. Then I want to read. I want to read. Um, I don't often do this, but I want to read uh, a translation that I did off the same text. He says um, their end is destruction. Their god is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Now I want to read, uh, and and not this is not saying my translation skills are better than the ESV, but I just think this is easier than me trying to explain. Their perfection, quote unquote, is consuming to excess. Their God is their hunger, and they celebrate debasing themselves, thinking only of the moment. Paul says that what's really at at a question here is whether you're going to be consecrated to Christ or you're going to consume for your own convenience. That's two alliterations in two weeks, guys. Some kind of world record. This, this description is those, those consuming, that unending hunger. They, they've got to constantly not improve so that Christ can be glorified, but improve for the sake of improvement. 
I used to joke around that motivational speakers tell you that the purpose of your life is to discover the purpose of your life. So <laughs> like, like, you, ever, you ever listen to somebody speak and you just go, is he just talking in circles or am I missing what he's saying? You know, he's just cycling around. You need to be better by being better so that you can be better. And he's, Paul is saying, look, these people, he says, they're, they're just interested in consumption. Their God is their belly, right? What they believe is maturity is consuming to excess. Now understand, he knows what this is, and they know what it is, because Philippi is a Roman city, and one of the things the Romans love to do is excess. They love the idea of being crazily out of control in situations. Oh, this wine is like 50 proof, you know, and you're supposed to cut it with water? We're going to drink it solid. Oh, you can only eat so much food before your stomach explodes? We're going to set special rooms in our party houses called vomitoriums where we can throw up so we can eat more. We, they, oh, you know, uh, you're only supposed to have one wife? Oh, can we talk that one? The Romans love excess, they, they, and especially the Greeks. They love this sensual desire and fulfilling every want and need to overflowing. And Paul says, look, this is all that is. Eventually it's destruction. And they're just celebrating, thinking only of the moment. There's no eternity to the goal of just pleasing yourself in this moment. Just living for the now. Just being blown about by every single thing that comes, every fad, every movement, every desire, every, every direction. People go, well, you know, this is the thing that's working now. Let's go do that. Why? My, I, I remember when I was growing up, my my um, my parents were of the generation when Dr. Spock was, well, not Mr. Spock, Dr. Spock, and, and people were saying, don't spank them, Spock them. And it was like this thing, and I'm still not entirely sure I approve of the way that I was raised. Um, but um, but my father's opinion was, uh, and I love him dearly. His opinion was, when the pain is greater than the pain of punishment is greater than the pleasure of doing the thing, you will stop. <laughs> an interesting approach. What he was trying to teach, right or wrong, the method he was teaching, and he would always talk to us. My dad would always explain why we were being punished. I think it's one of the reasons I explain things to death with my daughter. Um, but but they, they, he would always explain to us why what we did was wrong. And why focusing on the pleasure of the moment was wrong. He said, and he used to tell me, he said, remember, I only have one thing to give you, and that's my name. Wear it well. And he would, he would give us all these little pithy statements. Now, along the way, he would also make jokes, you know, and, and fool around, because my dad's just a giant teddy bear, and don't, don't make sure he doesn't see this video. Um, <laughs> but but he, would, he was always trying to instill us that it's not what is, what's right in front of you that matters. It's what's five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road. He was always saying, what is the goal you're striving for? Where do you want to go? And when we set goals as kids, he would work with us to accomplish those goals. When I wanted to go into the military academy, he worked hard to make sure that I could meet the physical things and was doing the academic things, and he was always there trying to help us. Now, he was never like a touchy-feely, lovey-dovey direction. It was more like, did you do your homework? Did you get A's? I don't want to hear it. Get back in the room. Um, but, but it was... It, but it was always 
listen, you know, we're gonna we're gonna move forward toward this. But think not of the moment, think of the future, think of the goal, think of the objective. When I told my dad, when I was uh, uh, younger, and I told my dad that I believed God was calling me into the ministry, and he did everything he could to discourage me. Literally everything he could think of to discourage me. Because he believed that unless the conviction came from the Holy Spirit, I would be swayed by one of the arguments that he presented. And he would tell me, and he still tells me today, today, God doesn't want casual preachers. He wants fully devoted believers. And to be fully devoted, we've got to have the goal of Christ ahead of us. That's the only way we don't get swayed. It's the only way when an enemy of the cross gets in our way and we stumble and we fall, we don't lay on the ground and go, well, that's it. I've done all I can. Jesus was just empty taking me. But we stumble over and stand up and brush off the dust and don't worry about what happened and we continue to drive toward the goal. We continue to drive toward the goal. Ultimately, it comes down to the difference between selfishness and service. Ultimately, it comes down to um, this moment and eternity. And we choose whether we will run and walk with those and imitate those who will follow that are devoted to Christ or whatever meets our momentary need. And that is not an easy decision to make. It is not an easy path to follow. Because the challenge is always, well, but I could do this. Uh, they're not here, and I'm going to end with this illustration, but they're not here. But Tom and I, Tom and Hathcote and I were reflecting on the fact that he moved up to New Hampshire 16 years ago to help us start a church. You don't know that. They only had two kids at the time. Um, and we've known each other since 1991. So, so we've known each other almost 30 years, um, which is mind-blowing that anybody would be my friend for that long. Um, it's equally mind-blowing to Becky that somebody would be Tom's friend for that long. So, um, but we, we've known each other for a long time. And I, I'm going to tell you a story. I think he's watching online, and he probably doesn't want me to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, he was offered a job. Some of you remember, uh, he, he went through a period of unemployment, he'd get a job, and then lost it. It, was like, it went on for about six months, I think it was. It was great because he was here playing ping pong with me all the time, not so great for paying bills. Um, he, he got the job that he has now, I believe it was the one he has now, and then he was offered a job with a lot more money. But it was going to be in Portsmouth. And he turned down that job because if he took that job, he was not going to be able to be home and be a father to his children and a husband to his wife. He was not going to be able to serve in the ministries of the church because he was going to be so busy. He was going to be driving to Portsmouth 45 minutes every day, you know, one way, so an hour and a half. He, he, he made the decision. Now, some, some of you make those commutes, but you don't have six kids, right? Um, and, and everybody has to make their decision on their own, but, but Tom made that decision because he knew where he needed to be. He wanted to be with his family and with his church family. He wanted to be present 
where he was, and he knew that if he took that job, even though that money would have paid for them to buy that house earlier, it would have put the kids through college, he would have had all these benefits, he chose not to. Why? Because to follow Christ was to be a good father, to be a good friend, to be a servant of Christ. Now, it's going to be tough for him to get through doors with his head swollen like I just, I just did it. But, but we all make those choices. We all make decisions on whether we're looking for the goal of following Christ or the moment. That money was tempting. I mean, it was, it was tempting. It was a lot. But what he would have lost, it wasn't worth it. It was going to be less than what Christ had called him to be. I have tremendous respect for Tom. Not just for that. He's one of my, he's one of my closest friends. He is my longest standing friend. But that, that, that moment where we had that conversation was just, there's Christ. There's Christ. Not perfection. No one will ever tell you that Tom is perfect. Um, and I don't think I'm surprised anybody with that. But in that moment, choosing to follow Christ. And every day in our lives, we choose whether we will look forward to the goal of Christ or be distracted by the stumbling and the enemies of the moment. And what we do with those choices reflects who Christ is to us. And I encourage you to choose well. Would you join me in word of prayer? Father, we desire to know you, to be known by you, to be known to one another, to serve you, to love you. Lord, we are all fallen, we are all broken, we are all um, flawed, but we desire to follow you. May your praise and glory describe all that we are as we strive against the difficulties of the world to follow you. Lord, may we, we seek out community to drive one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to the goodness that is a reflection of the Heavenly Father we know through you, Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that guides us. And we pray to you, Father, in the name of the Son, by the Holy Spirit, that you be glorified in us as we press on to the time. Amen. The Lord bless you and